Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Independence Day weekend may seem like a strange time to start off a sermon by talking about Christmas. But I'm hoping that you'll give me a bit of latitude for a moment or two. You see, as I was reading today's Gospel text, it struck me as to the contrast between how people give gifts and how God gives gifts. For example, when I was growing up and Christmas time was rolling around, my parents were always pretty quiet about what the presents were going to be that year. Maybe one of us kids had expressed in no uncertain terms what we desired to have as presents, but my parents never seemed to have any reaction to that at all. They neither promised that we would get anything specific, nor did they usually come out and say, no way, you're not getting that. We would just have to wait patiently until that special morning to find out exactly how we were going to be blessed that year. Another thing that my parents did very, very effectively at that time of year was hiding the gifts from us until they had been completely wrapped and placed under the Christmas tree. I don't remember ever having been successful in searching them out anywhere in the house or up in the attic or out in the garage. After a while, all of us kids just pretty much gave up and accepted the fact that the, the wise and the learned were capable of hiding the good gifts from the little children. As clever and as creative and as silent as my parents were, though, and as much fun as it was to be surprised on Christmas morning by their gifts and to appreciate their hiding and the revealing of them, their methods were nothing like how God does things. Jesus willingly reveals the hidden gifts of God and of His kingdom to us. That's the primary thrust of Jesus' words in the Gospel lesson today, taken from Matthew's account. And this primary thrust or main thought breaks down into three key elements. The hiding, the revealing, and the giving. These words from Jesus that make up our Gospel lesson today come right after He had declared His condemnation upon several cities where He had been performing many of His miracles. These cities were populated mostly by Jews, that is, those who were the religious and the spiritual and ethnic descendants of the people of Israel. To them and to their ancestors, God had revealed His plan of salvation over the course of many centuries by many prophets. Yet when they were confronted directly and clearly by the one who was the fulfillment of all of those prophecies, God's gift of a Savior remained hidden to them. They had been blinded by pride and by ignorance. They had also been led astray by those who should have been seeking for the true signs of the Messiah, but instead were focused on burdening the people with many man-made rules and regulations. Jesus declared in that text just before our Gospel lesson that the pagan and even the evil cities such as Tyre and Sidon and yes, even Sodom would have been more willing to repent of their sins and to receive Jesus than were those towns in Galilee. And so the promised Savior remained hidden from these children of Israel. 
The promise had, of course, often become hidden to them. This was not because God was making it obscure, making it difficult for them, but because the people were too proud, too independent, too stubborn to see what it was God wanted for them, what He wanted them to see, His providence, His mercy, His grace, and ultimately, His salvation. His truth remains hidden still these days from most of the worldly wise and the worldly learned. Human science would have you believe that life itself came about by chance. That the order and the beauty and the complexities of this universe, of this planet of ours, yes, even of your very own bodies, are the result of nothing more than a long series of lucky accidents. Human law would have you believe that it's perfectly fine to starve the helpless, to join man with man and woman with woman in marriage, to destroy unborn children who have no voice. The wisdom of this fallen world suggests that the very essence of God's created order and His revealed intentions can simply be swept aside for convenience sake or to satisfy human desires. Human reason would also have you believe that worshiping anything and everything is equally valid. That any and all gods are true gods if you believe sincerely enough. That you can save yourself if you work hard enough at being good. Human reason will even tell you that there is no God, or if there is a God, then certainly He doesn't really care what it is you do. He's above all that. According to this line of thinking, Either no one will be saved at all, or all people will be saved because a merciful and loving God could do nothing else. Yet these are lies. Lies that our human minds and that the world around us, and yes, especially Satan, concoct to make us confident in ourselves. Lies to lead us astray, to hide God's truth, and to make all of our evil and our unbelief and our self-delusion seem perfectly fine. And on account of this, God remains hidden. Christ indeed remains hidden from many of God's creatures, far too many. Forgiveness and salvation and eternal life remain not only hidden then, but inaccessible. How odd it is then that in our Gospel lesson for today, we hear Jesus praise the Father for keeping these gifts hidden from the wise and the learned. And it's more than just that. The text says that Jesus declares this. Indeed, He actually confesses that. He agrees and He concurs wholeheartedly with the Father's intentions to keep it hidden from some. The proud, the smart, the wise, the logical, they cannot accept God's plans and desires for them. They cannot grasp the gift of faith that is laid out freely before them by a merciful but yet also a holy and just God. Yet Jesus also praises and agrees with the Father for His revelation to the little children, to the infants, to take the Greek word literally. For it is only to those of us who realize that we are indeed as helpless as infants are and admit that we can do nothing for ourselves that Christ is revealed. Only by those who cry out in need are Jesus' words of comfort and care rightly received. 
this great contrast, the hiding of things from the wise and the learned, and the revealing of them to those who are like little children, confirms for us once again that it is solely by faith and not by our works that we are saved. If it were logical that God would wipe away our sins on account of Christ, if this could be proven, then the entire world would flock to Christianity because it would make sense to them. But forgiveness, salvation, and everlasting life through faith alone do not mesh with our fallen human minds. And so many reject it as being illogical. And yet it pleased God the Father to reveal His plan to those whom He would. Jesus even says in verse 26 that it was the Father's good pleasure to do this. And interestingly enough, the word used there for good pleasure is very similar to the words used by the Father at Jesus' baptism when He said He was well pleased with His beloved Son. And it is also very similar to the words used by the angel to tell the shepherds that God had good will toward men with whom He was well pleased. And God's good pleasure is a tremendous blessing, is it not? With Jesus as the lens through which God sees us, His good thoughts are directed toward us, but only on account of Christ, and certainly not on account of our sinful selves. Jesus goes on to say that only the Father knows the Son, and only the Son knows the Father. Jesus could make no higher claim of equality with God, of actually being God, than in saying this, that He and the Father alone know fully well and understand one another. Coming from a mere man, this would have been outrageous, not only arrogant, but even blasphemous. The world does not know God, but Jesus does. And only through Jesus can we truly know God and understand Him. In Jesus, God is made known. Through the Word, the Holy Spirit continues to make Him known so that the Father's love for the Son is passed along to us. Like the Son knows the Father, so too the sheep know the shepherd. What a precious privilege it is for us to have the Father revealed to us. Though the scribes and the Pharisees thought themselves to be the keepers of scriptural wisdom and knowledge of God, they were greatly self-deceived. They had closed their hearts and their minds. And sadly, many yet today also still put themselves in that position. They depend upon their own knowledge and logic and willpower to decide whether or not they will believe in God. And then... They decide how they will choose to believe in that God, how they will see that God, understand that God, and follow that God. But we must reject everything, everything at all that we bring to the table in the way of knowledge, in the way of suppositions. And we must accept only that which God shows to us. The Word made flesh, given to us through the living voice of the Scriptures. We are to remain like little children, naive in spirit and growing in trust, innocent always in spiritual things. With God's message hidden from the wise and the learned, the Son reveals it to those whom He chooses. And who are those to whom He chooses to reveal it? It is to us, His chosen children. It is we who, by the gift of faith, hear His call to come to Him. 
We who are burdened by sin, weighed down and weary with guilt, and placed under the curse of both divine law and human regulation. From it we are granted rest and relief. Psalm 116 tells us, The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death. This rest, we must understand, is not that eternal rest we will receive in Him when we leave this life to dwell with Him forever in heavenly glory. But what a wonderful refreshment of our spirits this forgiveness provides. For Jesus makes it clear to us in today's Gospel lesson that upon being granted this rest for our souls, we will be granted a new and different burden. But it will not be a burden that we will have to bear alone. It is not a suffering to which we are harnessed all by ourselves. You see, we always must remember that there is a very distinct difference between a harness and a yoke. A harness is for an individual. A yoke, however, is for two. A yoke attaches us. It pairs us together with Christ in His death, where our burdens are no longer difficult and lonely, but joyful. Christ has done the work, all that hard work for our salvation, and now His burden is our privilege to take upon ourselves. His cross, His burden, is what justified us. Our cross and our burden, carried in Him and through Him and with Him, is what sanctifies us. Rather than separating us from God's love for us in Christ, the bearing of our crosses binds us to Him like a yoke more closely to our Lord. We look beyond this world's troubles, not in despair, but with quiet and humble and patient confidence that we will have our rewards in heaven. His most marvelous gift to us, though, is not that light burden or that easy yoke of discipleship. It is not even the gentleness and the humbleness of heart with which we have been given faith as we learn from Him to empty ourselves. Rather, we rejoice that what the Father has revealed to us is the Son, and the Son has revealed yet more to us. We are not made sons and daughters of the Lord through the knowledge or through the cleverness of this world, but by revelation, by the revelation of the plan of salvation given to us in God's Word. Our coming to know God, our receiving faith and forgiveness and life eternal, is not at all by happenstance. It is completely by His design. It is by the will and the good pleasure of God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. And let us not forget how these gifts come to us yet today. For as Jesus said in verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. Likewise, He also said again later in Matthew's Gospel account, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Father has placed everything into the Son's hands, including you. Some of this authority Jesus has passed along through His apostles to us, the church. The authority to go where He will send us. The authority to make disciples. The authority to baptize them in the name of the triune God. 
to teach them to observe and to treasure all that He has commanded us, including His Holy Supper and the forgiveness of our sins. What the Father has hidden from the wise and the learned, the Son has chosen to reveal to us His little children. We receive as His precious children all good things, all good gifts. And most especially, do we receive the precious gift of God's revelation in Christ Jesus to our joy and to our eternal salvation. In His holy name, Amen.